again to worship. If you've been your uh, worship guide at the very end, you'll see our outline for today as we've had every Sunday. I hope you'll follow along there. There's a lot of information for us to cover, and I hope you'll follow. I really appreciate again our uh, media team that makes it possible for those of you who are watching at home by live stream to, uh, to see that on your, on your screens. Speaking of TV and live stream, especially TV next week, uh, we will, the broadcast will end at 11 o'clock. It's not WHNT's fault. That's just the way that CBS headquarters does it when it's March Madness. And so, because we're walking through the 12 steps, and, and I really don't, didn't want us to miss that, and we're going to do the, the order of things a little differently next week. We'll open with music, and then I'll, I'll do the message, and then we'll have a good time and, um, and worship. You'll probably go through three hours in here since we're not on the TV. And so, um, just so that if you're watching from home, just to be aware of you know, that. I'm glad you're here. It's an unusual day. We've got a bunch of folks in Alaska. We have a bunch of folks in, uh, at the beach, at Laguna Beach, at the student retreat. I'm actually headed there as soon as this, uh, this service is over. Carrie's already down there. It's a good thing that I'm going late. Six people forgot something, and I'm carrying things down for them. So that's my role. I go late and take the things that people, that people forgot. If you're new, watching or in the room, you'll, you might be wondering about this idea of going through the 12 steps. We associate the 12 steps with recovery, and this is not an AA meeting, it's not a recovery meeting, but we all have hurts and habits and hang-ups, and we all have issues, and so we're using the 12 steps for us all as a program of Christian discipleship. The 12 steps emerge from the world of recovery, particularly from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but they have been adopted, adapted by Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, and lots of other recovery groups, and they are, I believe, a meaningful, effective tool or program for Christian discipleship. I've been working them ahead of you, and I have found them to be transformative, deeply meaningful, deeply I hope that you have. And so we've come today to step 10, which begins, we continue, which reminds me. Our daughter, Brenda, did her undergraduate work at the University of Virginia and carried her master's of nursing there, and Raj and Kristen Poseidon there, met there, and I know that the, the, the students and faculty and staff at UVA have a unique vocabulary. They don't talk about the campus, they talk about the grounds. Now, if you go to Charlottesville, there's certainly, there's certainly an area of town that is, you would call, you and I would call the campus of the University of Virginia, but they don't call it the campus, they call it the grounds, and they don't talk about freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, they talk about first year, second year, third year, fourth year. In fact, Kristen showed me a t-shirt from her freshman year, just to clarify things for folks back home, there's a the t-shirt reads something for the campus, and it's marked out, and they wrote grounds, and then there's something about being a freshman, and that's marked out, and it says first year. All that goes back to the founder of the university, Thomas Jefferson, who said there's not a campus of learning. You come to this place and you study for four years or so, but the world is your campus. There's not just one place you learn. We learn, we should, everywhere. And you don't become a senior and then graduate from learning. Rather, you go for about four years and then you enter your fifth year and then your fifteenth year and then your fiftieth and your seventy-fifth year of learning. Thomas Jefferson had it right, I believe, that education is not limited to middle school or high school or college or grad school. We are always to be learning. And that applies for us in the 12 steps. And that's why step 10 says we continue, because you never graduate from this program. You never say, oh, well, I've worked 12 steps, and now I'm, I'm through. This is cyclical. It is continuous. We celebrate what we've learned. Of course, we are grateful for new spiritual tools that we didn't have that we before. But we're not naive. We're not naive. We know ourselves better than we know ourselves 10 weeks ago. We know we are vulnerable. We know that we are susceptible to certain things, and we know that we are tempted by certain things, and we know that we are susceptible to falling back. Like Robert Robinson said in the hymn that he wrote 200 years ago, we are prone to wander. Look down at your outline, or else it will be on the screen if you're watching by TV, and let's walk through these through the steps and then the guiding texts from the Bible. AA Step 10 reads like this. We continued to take personal inventory, and when we 
you were wrong, you promptly admitted it. By the way, there's an app for your phone. I downloaded it. It's called the Nightly 10 Step Nightly Inventory. I can't say that I've used it every night, but I've used it several nights. It's a wonderful refresher. It asks you, were you honest today? You have to say yes or no. Did you hold a grudge today? Yes or no. Did you need to make amends today? And did you? Yes or no. And it gives you a grade, which is kind of humbling. But it's a, just a reminder that this is a continuous process. Now, our biblical principle for us all, we take that step and apply it to all of us. It reads something like this. We kept a close and continuous watch on our overwhelming tendency to do the wrong things, and we immediately confessed it and addressed it, and we made a mess with things. Now, here are, here are our guiding texts from the Bible. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, or test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail to test? 2 John, verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Luke 9, verse 23. And Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is that everyone who has chosen to follow Jesus, everyone who has said, I trust him, has not my own goodness for here and forever. And to every one of us, the Holy Spirit has come to live, to enlighten us, to empower us, to enable us to live a Christ-centered, fruitful life. We have experienced a transformation so beautiful, Jesus called it a new birth. Romans 6 says, it's as if we are alive from the dead. Colossians 3 says, we have put off the old and put on the new. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. That's the good news. The good news is the Spirit of God is going to live in us to allow us to produce spiritual fruit. The bad news is, what the Bible calls our sin nature, that overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, is still there. It didn't go away. I like the way Neil Anderson describes it. He says, in Arizona, they plant orange trees. I'm not a horticulturalist, so I can't defend his. If he's wrong, I don't know. He seems right to me. That they plant orange trees. He said that because of the climate there, it can be harsh. They plant ornamental orange trees because they're hardy, they're sturdy. But they don't produce good fruit. Therefore, at a certain level of their growth, they cut that tree off and graft in a navel orange tree. So at the base, you've got an ornamental orange tree, and after that, you've got navel orange, a navel orange tree, which produces good and sweet fruit. He likens that to our natures, and I think he's right. We have, at the point of our conversion, we now have the Spirit of God in us, enabling us to produce good fruit. But we still have, we still have the ornamental orange, if you will. We still have that nature that has an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, and we still choose to reach back down into that nature. I reach into that nature every day. So we have the good news of a new nature, we have the bad news of an old nature, and that's why we continue. That's why we don't ever graduate. We continue. We, we continue to admit our moral failures. We continue to surrender our wills to God every day. Paul said, I died daily. We continue to make amends when we need to. We, we continue this process, this program of spiritual discipleship. If we don't, we don't immediately confess and address our sins. They build up. The consequences of our bad choices build up and they become unhealthy and unmanageable. It's like Armitan when we lived in Nigeria. When we were missionaries in Nigeria during the so-called winter of the month, the wind from the Sahara would blow southward into West Africa where we were, and there would be this cloudy, this, this dusty haze for days and days and days and days. It's called Harmattan. It's, the, it's the, the dusty wind from the Sahara. And it leaves a film of dust wherever it goes. Now, we, we didn't have an air conditioner in the life room. The climate was pleasant. So we, we had the windows open all year round, including Harmattan. So when the, when the Harmattan would blow in, it would blow dust into our house and just this thin layer of dust would settle on, on everything. 
and Carrie would have to break the dust off, and she would say, I can dust in the morning, and there's a thin layer of dust by the afternoon. Even as I tell you that, I realized I should have been helping her dust, but I did not. And so she would dust in the morning, and dust in the afternoon, and dust the next morning, and the next afternoon, because had she waited until the end of all pants, it would have been unhealthy, and the cleanup would have been virtually impossible. So that's why we regularly continue to confess our sins, to address our sins, so that they and the consequences of our sins don't build up. Here's another way of uh, looking at it. Years ago, in, uh, it wasn't in the National Enquirer, it was in the Associated Press that I read. Luciano Mores from Fort Sumner, New Mexico, told this story. Mr. Mores said he had a fire outside. He was burning leaves and branches and limbs outside in his yard. And while the fire was burning outside, inside the house, he caught a mouse in a trap. Not the, this kind of trap, but the glue trap that catches their feet, you know. So, while the fire was burning outside, he caught the mouse inside, and he trapped the trap. Mouse and all, and tossed it into the fire, which melted the glue on the trap, which is a good, good news for the mouse, for it released him. However, the mouse had caught him on fire, and the mouse, the mouse, now I don't know if it's true or not, but Mr. Morris said it is, so he said the mouse ran back in the house, and when he did, it ran under the draperies, and caught the draperies on fire, and from the draperies, the fire spread throughout the house until the whole house was destroyed. The report in the Associated Press read, except for the mouse, juries were reported. He threw the mouse out, but it came right back in, and here's the point. We can throw our bad habits out, but they have a tendency to run back in. We have these character faults that we can throw out, and they may be different for all of us, but they tend to run back in, which is why we have to be vigilant, which is why we have to be consistent in our spiritual disciplines, or else the the mouse runs back in the house. Second Peter has an image. The image is worse than that of a fiery rodent. He talked about the pig. Remember the pig? You can watch the pig up. Watch the pig up. But it goes right back to the, to the smelly putrid mud and wallows in the mud. And do you remember the next image that's even less palatable than that? He talked about the dog that loses his supper in the yard and goes back and it goes back and laps up the, the supper. Sorry to ruin your appetite for lunch, but you know, you know the image, right? It's not intended to be pretty. We have pig-like and dog-like we have a tendency to let the mouse back in the house. We have a tendency to wallow back in the mud. We have a tendency to return to those things that are unhealthy for us. And we slip. We slip spiritually. Landon, our son, when he was about 12, he and I went for a boat ride. Not a motorboat, but a paddle boat. We were headed down the lake with the wind to our backs, and it was a, it was a great ride. It was, we almost glided down the lake. But then there came a time to, to go back. And when we turned around, the wind was in our faces now, and blowing harder and harder. And it was so hard to paddle back. We had to really work. And when we wanted to take a break, we drifted. We slipped. If we weren't continually, continually working at it. On your outline, there's a wonderful piece that I think is a wonderful piece from the recovery community, recovery literature. It's titled, I'm Slipping. These are warning signs. Number one, I'm slipping when I begin to dislike AA conversation or conversation. And I do not want to be around other AAs. We can say that, couldn't we, when we increasingly dislike being around other followers of Jesus when they cramp our style? It's a warning sign that we are slipping. Number two, when I willfully stay away from meetings, I am slipping. We can say that about church, could we not? When we intentionally stay away, when we simply don't go, we're slipping. 
Three, I'm slipping when I am beginning to take another person's inventory instead of my own. And we can say that about us all when we start thinking about others' bad behavior instead of our own. It's a warning sign. It's a danger sign. We're slipping. Number seven, when I begin to remember the good times I had drinking, don't look at the bad times. I am slipping. All of us are slipping when we forget the consequences of our bad choices. Number five, I'm slipping when I condemn in others that which I tolerate in myself. Again, that's true for us all. Is there any chance that you are slipping spiritually? Is there any chance that the mass is headed back into the house? Is there any chance that you're headed back to the mud? Is there any chance that you're headed back to the vomit? Is there any chance that you have begun to slip? Slip. The legend is told of a man standing on the side of a cliff, or on a cliff, looking down at the river below. He could see floating down the river a carcass, the dead body of an animal, but he couldn't yet make out what kind of carcass or animal it was. As he got closer, he recognized it was a sheep, the dead body of a sheep. And atop the carcass sat an eagle having a meal. The eagle was enjoying a meal, drifting gently down the river, kind of like a dinner cruise, you might say. So the eagle is sitting atop the carcass. Casually eating, up here in the head was a high and treacherous waterfall. The eagle certainly knew that he had flown these skies his entire lives. He certainly knew that waterfall was there. Plus, his primal instincts would tell him, I'm in danger. So he was casual. He was not afraid. He was relaxed, enjoying the meal of the sheep carcass. But then, when they got fairly close to the high and treacherous waterfall, his instincts did tell him, it's time. It's time to fly. Now his instincts told him, you are in danger. You better get out of here. So he spread those, he spread those mighty pinions, and he flapped them, and nothing happened. And he flapped them again, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Panicking now, the eagle flaps his wings, and he can't get away his pinions. His, excuse me, his talons, his claws are, are entangled in the wool of the carcass. And he realizes he's in big danger now, and he tries to get away. He can't. He's, he's so entangled that he rides with the carcass over the waterfall to his death. And there's a woman somewhere who has struggled with alcohol. She's been in rehab, so she knows all the right language. But she begins with a glass of wine with dinner. After all, lots of people do that in a healthy, responsible way. But then it becomes one before and one during or two after, and it's a, it's a bottle of night now. She can stop any time she would tell you if you ask her. She's not even yet aware that she has again become entangled, entangled in, the, in, the, in the carcass of a bottle. And so she's so surprised when she goes off the waterfall and loses her job. Her family tells her she's, she's had a problem. She just didn't, she just didn't recognize it began with innocent flirtations at work. Both married, both responsible people. It's just innocent flirtation, and they could pull away from that relationship any time they wanted. They would tell you if you asked them. But there's an emotional connection, and they become, they become, they become entangled in the wool of the carcass. And then one day they both are working the lake, and one thing leads to the next, and the next, and they go over the waterfall. And two homes are two homes are, are now broken. It began with a few clicks of scantily clad women as he scrolled for Facebook. Now he recognizes that pornography was a problem for him before, but it's manageable now. He can tell you if you ask him. If you ask him. But with time, it's more and more clicks and uh, less and less scantily clothed, clothed women until 
Philly's spending a lot of time uh, on porn sites now, and he's become entangled in the world of the Carcassonne. And he's floating toward the waterfall, and then he's so surprised. For hours every day on pornographic sites, his wife finds out about it, and she is broken. He used to have a problem with gambling, but he's been through the program. He understands now what he can do and what he can't do. So he goes just for old times, so he goes to the racetrack and lays down a $2 bet. No, no harm in that. But that was so much fun, he lays down now a $20 bet just for, just for old times. And that felt so good, there's another bet, and then there's another trip to the track, and he becomes, becomes tangled in the, in, the, in the wool of the carcass. And he's so surprised, so surprised. When a big bet goes bad, and it goes bad, it goes over the waterfall, over the waterfall. He has to confess to his wife that, his wife, that he has squandered a great portion of their, of their savings. All good people, all good people. All could pull away whatever they wanted to. They would tell you if you asked them. But all entangled, all entangled in the wool of the carcass. The mouse tends to run back in the house. We tend to return to the mud and to the bottom. We tend, we tend to slip spiritually, spiritually. Unless we, unless, we, unless we stay on top of it, unless we, are, unless, we are, unless we regularly admit our moral failures and surrender daily our wills to God, and unless, we, unless we make amends where it's necessary, unless we, unless we are always vigilant. It's almost certain that someone watching me, either in the room or by TV or live stream, is, is sitting atop a carcass. Now, I'm not the policeman. Right? I'm not the one that arrests people. I'm not the one that gets you in trouble. I'm more like... Um, the preacher is more like that flashing sign. You know, you go down the road and, and there's a sign that will tell you how fast you're going. And if you're, you're, there used to be one in our neighborhood. And I, I pull in there and it would flash up how fast. I think if you're going too fast, it was like yellow or red. I don't know. I was never going too fast. But I think it was like that. That sign doesn't arrest you. That sign doesn't pull you over and give you a ticket. It just says, warning, warning, warning. I, I, I'm not the judge and I'm not the jury. And I'm not the policeman. I'm not the policeman. But I've done this so long, so long, that there has to be someone listening to me, listening to me, who needs to be warned. If you're on the carcass, then fly now, fly now, or it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be too late. We're going to sing number 386. Some of the ministers are going to be waiting down here for you to talk about what it means to follow Jesus, to receive that new nature that it won't make you perfect. It won't make you perfect, but it will give you a new nature, the, nature, the, the supernatural ability to produce a good fruit. Or to be part of our church family, we'd be delighted, we'd be thrilled to have you. And we sing, we sing, and wait on you. Let's stand, please. Let's stand.